0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning.
1: Welcome back to the Utah Symphony, Utah Opera Ghostlight podcast, a behind the curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Carol Anderson.
0: And I'm Jeff Counts. The Pulitzer Prize winning and Grammy Award winning operas of librettist lyricist Mark Campbell are among the most successful in the contemporary canon. Notable projects include Silent Night, which, as I mentioned, won the Pulitzer Prize as won The Shining, Sanctuary Road. The list is long and varied. As we record, Utah Opera is preparing to mount a production of The Revolution of Steve Jobs, which Mark co-wrote with composer Mason Bates. Most importantly, though. Mark is a returning guest to the Ghostlight podcast, so I want to welcome you back to this August room, Mark. Th- thanks for being with us again. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be back.
1: I'm glad we didn't scare you off, but that was also before the <laughs> pandemic. So our memories of things before the pandemic are always hazy.
2: Wait, I was here before. No, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the before times. Maybe maybe you'll succeed in this one to scare me off. Well, keep trying. No, no, no,
1: no. <laughs> well, as you know, as Jeff mentioned, you have an extensive. Resume of Libretti. And there are all kinds of subjects. I noticed, you know, they're they are comedies, they're pop culture, they are socially relevant topics. How do you choose your projects? Do you have more proposals that you can accept these days?
2: Well, a lot of my projects are chosen for me by composers or artistic directors of opera companies. Um, or I sometimes choose my own projects. Um, it's 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 all over the boards with that one. Um I would say now I'm trying to learn to push back on projects because I'm getting really old and tired. And uh, um, I've also I, I, I want to concentrate a little bit more on my life, um, my this work balance thing that people keep talking about uh, and enjoy life a little bit more because I've just kind of been going really um, uh, a, a little too hard in the last five years. Well, not the last five years. The pandemic, everything stopped. But uh, you know, we we've all become uh, sort of forgetful about those last two years. Here I am mm-hmm. forgetting them now. um So yeah, I mean, I I I want to maybe I'll accept any new new project if I think that there's a story worth telling through music.
1: I find it fascinating that new opera doesn't tend to be comedic but you've written several comedies do you find it harder to approach comedy do you why is comedy such a challenge in the operatic world
2: uh okay there's several answers to this um i write comedy into pretty much everything i every opera i write silent night as you'll remember had comedy Mm -hmm. in it um i believe comedy is a way for my work for the opera to connect with the audience um if someone's laughing, I know they're not asleep, <laughs> for one thing, but it, it it's just a way to break down the formality that people have towards opera. They 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 think of it as this big art form that they will never understand or that they they won't enjoy. And I I like putting comedy in my operas because it helps break that down. Um, it helps me establish a connection with the audience. Um This second part of the question, why is comedy so hard in opera? Because you have to be a very adept composer to set comedy. If you have a punchline, for example, do not throw in five measures for no reason before the final word, the audience will not laugh. You know, as you know, comedy is about timing. Well, timing has to exist in music. And there are many composers out there who do not understand that, and they do not understand that the words are gonna to have to be ahead of the music in this particular case, because the music can only support the joke. And so when you talk about composers like Kevin Putz or Paul Moore Beck or Mason Bates, they know how to set comedy. They know how not to get in the way of what we hope will be a good laugh. Um, and by laugh, I mean a good connection with the audience. Not, It's not about the joke, it's that we are human beings and we can laugh about ourselves. And I have an irreverent view of opera that has served me very well. And one reason I use humor in opera is because I think it's important to have a reverence about the art form.
1: I also will say as an audience member, not only does it make me connect with the words that are being said, but it also gives me a respite from if it's a big drama. The big story of Silent Night is intense. And so if you have a comedic moment, you can kind of give your emotions a little break.
2: That, that's that's also true, but I, I would also say this, and this is what we learned from the early comedies of Mozart and Du Ponte, is that the sad, the the humor in operas makes the sad moments sadder. They make them more profound, you know, in, in Figaro, um, when the countess sings her famous aria, which is heartbreaking. I think it's more heartbreaking because we've been laughing beforehand. Um, If we're crying all the time, it's just, so what? If we're laughing and crying, that's the human experience.
1: This May, discover the human behind the devices we use every day. His genius, his complexities, and his flaws in a thoroughly modern opera as innovative as its inspiration, the revolution of Steve Jobs. With rave reviews across North America, this must-see Grammy Award winner comes to Utah Opera. Be there for the Salt Lake City premiere of The Revolution of Steve Jobs, May 6th through 14th. Tickets at utahopera.org.
0: Can we talk about process for a second, Mark? Because I'm really curious about yours and whether or not it varies between original subject matter or whether or not there's a cultural artifact like a book or a movie that you can draw on. What is your process? Operas are famously long in terms of their incubation. So where, where do you start when you get a new project?
2: Well, it it all. I mean, it's going to be so hokey to say this, but it's okay. I'm I'm among friends. Um, um, opera starts with heart. Um, it has to. there has to be a reason to sing. And I think maybe if my operas are successful it's because I've found a way to go for the heart um, and also working with composers who know how to do that through music. I think a lot of contemporary opera misses the mark because it is either too intellectual or too complicated. And it also sort of denies the presence of the audience who demands that there is heart in the stories that we're telling. I think that we go to opera for for that. Um, I think we go to opera because it expresses things in a way that we cannot express in our day-to-day lives. And so I hope that my process starts with that. It certainly started that way with the revolution of Steve Jobs. I don't know if you know this, but Mason Bates, it was Mason Bates' idea to write an opera about Steve Jobs. I never would have gone near the subject. Um, I just didn't, I thought he was just a jerk a corporate jerk, but Mason knew that he was a good subject for an opera and approached me to write it. I'm in a very ambitious person, obviously, and I wanted to work with Mason. I knew of his great reputation for um, uh, adding electronic music to an orchestra and I wanted to work with him. And he told me the subject matter. I went, Oh, damn. Okay. Well, I'll need to find the heart. I need to find a human in this story.
1: I'm just curious. There's a really idiosyncratic spelling to this title. It's called The Revolution of Steve Jobs, but it, the R is in parentheses, which is a challenge for my computer because it always wants to make it that trademark symbol. But uh, also, <laughs> you're obviously trying to make a point, revolution, evolution. Talk about how that came to be.
2: Sure, this is all my fault. I came up with the title, <laughs> but Mason approved it. So he has to share in the responsibility of it. I really, one of the reasons that convinced me to do it is that very same reason that it went from Typing a letter into a trademark, because it also expresses, it reminds anyone who types it, that this story is about a human being who is also a professional marketeer. Um, so I, the revolution of Steve Jobs, the one with the R, um, is actually hearkens to the way the story is constructed. It's constructed in a circle. And the reason why I constructed a circle is because I started reading about Buddhism Buddhism, and the fact that Buddhist monks create what is called an Enzo every day in their life. They draw a circle. And the idea is that you can never draw a perfect circle. So let's celebrate the beauty of that. And that's exactly what the opera is doing. It's, it is celebrating a man who thought that his machines should be perfect that he could be perfect, that our lives could be perfect with his machines, with the machines he helped create. At the same time, life is not perfect. And his life was certainly not perfect. And so I just thought it was a perfect way, uh, forgive me, I shouldn't use that word, um, a perfect and yet imperfect way to celebrate this man's life. Um, the If you remove the R, you've got the evolution. And it is about the evolution of Steve Jobs as a human being um from being a person whose ego and um uh, ideas of of and and corporate kind of mindset overtook his soul and it is about him evolving into a human being by the end of his life
1: did you find a character besides steve jobs that you particularly loved writing
2: Oh, yes, of course. I wouldn't have included, I have to love all my characters.
1: Of course. Is there, you know, do you have a
2: favorite? It, no. Um, well, yes. Um, Kobunshino Adagawa. Um, I loved when I read that Steve Jobs was um, a Soto Zen Buddhist his entire adult life. And then I started reading about this guy. Um, and I immediately knew I wanted him to be in the. in the the opera. And of course, you know, you go to Mason and say, would it be okay to have this character? And he immediately is thinking, oh my God, I can introduce um, Asian instruments to the pit. And he did. And uh, uh, I loved writing him. I loved writing Waz. I mean, like, you know, he's a, I loved writing about these two stoner dudes in California (laughs) in the seventies, Steve Waz and Steve Jobs, who were getting high in a garage, the way you do in California in the 1970s, and um, and then coming up with the devices that are in all of our pockets right now or in all of our purses. They're everywhere.
1: It's really amazing. And I do, I want to say, you know, Mason has in- included a huge amount of electronics in this score, which it's obviously Mason's, uh, one of his calling cards, but it's also how can you do an opera about a technological genius without some technology? But I love that a lot of it is, Concentrated in those Kobutin scenes, with all of the atmospheric
2: Asian oh, yeah.
1: effects and such. He,
2: he really, uh, I I love I'm I love the music in those scenes. They're contemplative. They're meditative. Of course, he's capturing, um, you know, the idea of Buddhist meditation in those scenes. And I mean, I created Kobunshino Aragawa was dead before Steve jobs was dead. He died. I don't remember what year, maybe 2008 um, where he died because he drowned while trying to rescue his daughter in a Lake, I think in Switzerland, but I knew I wanted to make him a character. And in a way he is, he is, he, he remains Steve jobs, spiritual advisor, but also his fellow journeyman through the past. He helps bring Steve to himself by examining these events in his past that changed him.
0: I'm not surprised you mentioned enjoying working on the Waz character, Mark, because I think every iteration of the Steve Jobs story that has happened in culture, the Waz character is somebody that everyone talks about the, the people that experience it. He's such an important part of this. So you have not to, surprised. you,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, Waz was the, was the genius behind all of this, right. you know, and you have to bring his story into this. Uh, Jobs was a genius in a different way, but but Jobs never could have done what he had done without Waz.
0: A really important part of the story, no matter who tells it and how. Um, So this opera is unlike anything we've presented in Salt Lake City. we've presented your work here before. Salt Lake can be a little risk averse as an audience. So what are the most compelling reasons why people should give this a shot? Like sell it to us a little bit. I know you talked about heart and your approach, and I know all of that matters, but be a marketer for a second yourself and tell us what we ought to be telling people about this piece.
2: Oh, you want me to do my best, like Steve Jobs, iPhone pitch? Absolutely. Exactly that. (laughs) Oh, I can do much better than him. Um, He's not around now to to, (laughs) to deny that. Um,
1: Well, and his business wasn't words, yours is.
2: Yeah. And I mean, look what happened with his business. Um, I'm kidding. Um, I I think this opera, one thing I love about this opera is that it is no other, it's like no other opera that is being done out there. Um, And one of the reasons for that is because of the power of Mason's music. Uh, It is unbelievably exciting. It has such energy and propulsion. The opera is an hour and a half long. It, it tells his story and it does it with muscularity and also is very moving by the end. It is in some ways a meditation on mortality, but it's not about death. It's about life. Um, it has all the other things that classic operas have. Betrayal, love, big sets, big music, big arias, high notes, all those things that we love about opera. But it is it is an opera that our world can relate to. It's not about, I don't have anything wrong with this, but it's not about an Italian princess who is pining over a lover in some castle sometime far away and long ago. It is about our world today. And I think it's very important, whatever you feel about Steve Jobs, and like I said, I went into this not really liking the man. Whatever you feel about Steve Jobs, nothing can deny the influence his work and he has had over our lives. And for better or for worse, we can say for worse because we spend all of our times on our little rectangles and not looking at, did you see the mountains this morning here? How extraordinary they were. I was looking at them and you know, I'm a New Yorker, so I come here and I'm just like astounded by the beauty of this place. And I was looking up at these gorgeous snow colored mountains and I was thinking, it is not enough now to just have a memory of that. We have to record it with our phones. So that's a negative about, I think, our phones. Our minds are gonna become not as good with memory and therefore we won't be able to, to create things because all we create comes from memory and, and from experiencing of, of what we're experiencing now. Um, one of Steve Jobs' favorite phrases was be here now. He loved that book by Rod Das. And so that's one of the negative things. One of the positive things I was thinking is that, well, we were able to record the murder of George Floyd Floyd because of Steve Jobs' devices. Whatever you feel about that, it has changed how we look at police brutality and it has changed what has gone on our world. So there are positive things, of course. There are positive things in our daily life. We're able to call our family and say, hey, I'm stuck in a snowstorm. I'll be home in an hour, but I'm safe. So there are human things and things that are um, a little bit, uh, we won't know the effects of until probably several decades from now.
1: But I do remember the first time I saw, I saw the premiere, uh, not the premiere performance, but one of the early performances in Santa Fe. And I remember... Being so moved by Laureen's final words Uh to the to the audience where she breaks the fourth wall and she says, look up, look out, you know, these and she says exactly what you said. She says, um, these are amazing devices. And also, don't forget to live your life.
2: Yes. Well, that's that's what I was hoping. um, That's the message that I hope the audience will go away with. Yes, we're lucky to have these things. But they cannot rule our lives the way we, and we do let them rule our lives. Absolutely. And to remind you, that's not Steve Jobs' fault. That's our fault. And I think we tend to conflate the man with the machine and blame him for all of this. And he didn't do that. We do that. We do that every day. We do that every day when we look at a beautiful mountain and go, I better record this and send this to someone because then it never happened. Um, And that's our fault.
1: Yeah, not to go too far off subject on this, but I, but I love No, no. But I I love when I see friends talking about an event that they were at where they didn't post any pictures because they were having such a good time being present in the moment. They just didn't post anything.
2: Isn't it hilarious? We go to a restaurant now and we think we better take a picture of this we, before we even take a bite of <laughs> someone who worked really hard to make this incredible food. And we're, and we're like, oh, I better send this because it never happened if I if I don't take a picture.
1: Yes. If it's not on Facebook or on Instagram, it didn't happen. I guess Instagram's the way it is these days or TikTok now.
0: Well, until Carol, I want to stay in this far field for just a second because Mark said something a minute ago that really interests me and this concept of memory. And, you know, on the notion of technology being a prophecy that is nothing but self-fulfilling, I think it's interesting that the people in that world chose to describe data storage as memory. Almost predicting that, yes. almost predicting that that was the thing these devices would be taking from us. It's really I, interesting. I
2: never that you couldn't make that up, right? That's no. true. That's hilarious. I never thought
0: that. Incredible. It's incredible. It. It's incredible. Yeah. Sorry, Carol, I interrupted you, but I, no, no, that's okay. It's good.
1: The, the the we like to think that the magic of this podcast is with well, the moments that we don't plan.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
2: The other thing that I, that I think will really throw the audience is Tomer Hulin's production. It is state of the art. It is mind blowing. It is just absolutely dazzling. There are really cool effects going on. But at the same time, he preserves the heart um, of this opera, which is often about mortality and a man facing death. And he found a perfect balance between the two.
1: You know, we typically, and I know we've done this for you in the past, we typically ask our opera guests what subject they think should become an opera. When you have that idea, do you go to the composer? Do you go to a company? Do you pitch the idea? I mean, are are, are you usually waiting? Do people usually pitch to you? Is it?
2: You know, it's both things. Um, I... I, yeah, I mean, an opera company might pitch an idea. Here's the composer. We want you for the librettist. Look at the subject matter. I almost always say yes. Um, you know, in the case of of The Shining, uh, which just opened in Kansas City, uh, Lyric Opera of Kansas City was very successful there. I'm happy about that. But that came to me from Minnesota Opera. And I just said yes, because I wanted to work with the composer, Paul Moravec. And I, and I knew the book. Or no, I knew the movie and I love Stanley Kubrick. And then I read the book. I went, Oh my God, it's 600 pages, but it's a good story and it's a good opera. Um, so it, 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 it varies. Uh, I recently wrote a piece during the pandemic when I wasn't sure I was going to get another commission in my life. Um, or even that we were even going to have opera, that we were going to have live performances ever again. And I said, okay, now write something that you really want to write. And I read this book by a memoir by Derek Jarman called Modern Nature. Um, and Derek Jarman was a uh, an activist, a gay activist, and also filmmaker who died of AIDS in 1994. And I read this memoir and I said, I have to turn this into a song cycle. Being a gay man of a certain age, I needed to tell that story. It's not common that I'm able to do it that directly. But I always have to find my way into any story that someone tells me to write or asks me to write. Um, I have to find the heart.
1: Jeff and I were discussing this weird international podcast.
0: We are. It's provable. We have some data that shows that we have at least one listener in Scandinavia. So that, by definition, <laughs> is international. So I think, Mark, that provides you with a real opportunity here is, you know, you just said there was a dream project that occurred to you and you found a way to do a song cycle about it. Is there another dream story subject that you think ought to be set to operatic music? Is there something you want to pitch today that somebody should take up?
2: Yes. You know what? Speaking of memory, those ideas are on my computer. If I can get my laptop, I'll (laughs) I'll show you a list of ongoing ideas. Um, My brain is way too small to, to, to keep them up here.
0: Well, does one Um, of them jump in there at this, with this question in mind? No. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, you're uh, so prolific, it's uh, probably hard to find something. I Go. do know a story that I've been
2: wanting to tell. Um, so I wrote an opera about Stonewall, The Uprising mm-hmm. in New York. And um, and it was a successful opera in many ways. Um, I would like to write a sequel to that and take the characters in that opera and see where they are today. Many of them have died, but many of them have lived. And I would set it on the day, because I was in New York at the time, um the day that marriage equality happened and so I would set something that was a riot that it was the three days around the riot, and then put it on a day of marriage equality that's one story that's that I want to tell um so if there are any funders out there um, well
0: funders and also Mason Kevin Paul others yeah. you heard him let's let's get yeah. something going I love it oh
2: and I, I will work with any any of the three composers you mentioned if any of them came to me and said, um, "Here's the phone book. Find a story in this. I would do it. <laughs> I would happily do it."
0: Well, um, there's no doubt you would do it well. I think that's been made. clear over uh, Well, the we'll years. see.
2: It, it matters the names I would choose and the number. But now, I, now he I says phone book. No one even uses a phone book anymore. So there it's I am, true. really.
1: Odd. <laughs> now, our our listeners, if they're under age 30, they're going. What is this what is a, book?
2: What is this phone book thing that he talks of? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. It was yellow and it was very small. Yes, yeah, yeah, so exactly it was very
1: small, and you had to understand how to spell things to. Right. People's <laughs> it wouldn't figure it out for you. Oh my gosh! Well, Mark, we're so glad that you took the time to come out on your busy couple of days here in Salt Lake. Well, I'm.
2: Always glad to be here. Always glad to visit Salt Lake City. I love this company and and I feel very honored to be represented again here. So bring me back again.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> will do. It will do. And the international podcast audience is also hearing this, promise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Revolution of Steve Jobs will be at the Capitol Theater on May 6th, 8th, 10th, 12th, and 14th. So uh, go to USUO.org and get your tickets set up for that. Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening today. If you haven't yet, it would really help us if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us to collect new listeners into the USUO Ghostlight family. Be sure to visit USUO.org for information about upcoming performances. We hope to see you soon for a live performance. Until next time, I'm Carol Anderson.
0: And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. The Utah Symphony Utah Opera Season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.